My earliest memories of wanting to help another creature, actually, I think my mama says I was about three, and I remember looking out the window in Columbus, Ohio, when my dad was in grad school, seeing worms all over the sidewalk during a torrential downpour and feeling the overwhelming urge that I needed to save them. And my beautiful mom, uh, I was crying, my beautiful mom said, okay, let's go get them. And so we got a bucket and we went out in the rain and we collected every worm we could find on the sidewalk. We brought them inside and took care of them until the sun came out and then we put them back out in the grass. Um, and I have a propensity to this day of seeking out and wanting to save wildlife. My mama and dad recognized that at a very early age and they did a great job of fostering experiences that allowed me to get the experiences I need and the education that I needed to be able to go on to become not just a federally licensed wildlife rehabilitator but a veterinarian. So I really owe my parents a whole lot when it comes to allowing any animal through the front door that you can imagine. It had to fit through the front door so no horses, no cows. But other than that, everything else came home with me and I would doctor it up and, and, and to the best of my ability and then set it free. Uh, and my parents did a really wonderful job allowing me to have all sorts, we literally had a zoo, and just allowing me to fulfill my desire to want to care for a lot of different species. When I was 13, I started volunteering at the Black Hawk Humane Society and I gained the appreciation for the overwhelming overpopulation problem, which had a very deep impact on me. When I was 14, I began apprenticing for my state wildlife rehabilitation license in Iowa, and by the age of 16, I was a federally licensed wildlife rehabilitator. And to this day, wildlife rehabilitation is a, is a deep passion of mine. I knew I wanted to be a wildlife biologist, so I went to the largest College of Natural Resources in the country, which is at Stevens Point, Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin at Stevens Point. And I did four years of undergrad work there uh, in, in my goal to become a wildlife biologist. During those four years, I had great experiences at the Raptor Center Pueblo in Pueblo, Colorado, as well as I did a fantastic internship at the Berlin Zoo, which really afforded me the opportunity to know firsthand how critical environmental enrichment is. When I graduated from vet school, I knew that I wanted to be an integrative veterinarian. So I became uh, a licensed animal acupuncturist in 1996 through the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society. I graduated in 1997. I took the professional course in veterinary homeopathy in 1998, and I opened Naturopet Animal Hospital in 1999, offering the first proactive services in the Midwest. My first cookbook in 2000 after recognizing that there were not a whole lot of resources for pet parents looking to create nutritionally balanced species appropriate recipes at home. So I wrote a cookbook out of desperation, not because I necessarily wanted to be an author. In 2002, I opened Covenant Wildlife Rehabilitation, which is a non-profit rehab center to be able to treat endangered species in Illinois. Shortly thereafter, I opened Feathers Bird Clinic, which is an exotic animal practice specifically designed to offer 
offer integrative care for other species besides dogs and cats. In 2011, I opened Therapaw Rehabilitation and Pain Management Clinic because those services were needed in my area and I also at that time opened a POSPIS or a hospice unit for dogs and cats. The first recollection, the first memory I have of any pet was our family dog, which was a deaf Dalmatian named Pepper. Now I didn't have, I was two and a half or three, I did not have a relationship. I remember Pepper, uh, Pepper died. So the dog that I remember growing up with was a schnauzer poodle mix, a schnoodle that we named Sooty because he, he looked like soot that you got out of a fireplace. This little fuzzy, beautiful little bouncing ball that lived to be almost 19. And so Sooty was the, the dog that our entire family grew up with through elementary school and junior high and high school into college into my undergrad years, which was awesome. Sooty was so impactful on, on a lot of, for a lot of reasons, but one of the, the two big lessons I learned from Sooty in my life were number one, um, environment matters and food isn't everything. Now food is a lot. Food is the most important thing we can do for our animals on a daily basis and food will either heal or harm. However, without knowing any better, we fed our dog gravy train for almost 19 years. So it's interesting to me because that's not the best food choice. So how does a dog with really terrible nutritional intake live to be 19? Sudi taught me about other factors in the environment that help prolong life in addition to diet. So for instance, Sudi wasn't neutered until he was 13, so he had his sex hormones. That's a big piece. Sooty didn't receive annual vaccinations because my parents just plain didn't have the money. So at the time, we felt guilty because the veterinarian would call you and say, hey, he's due for parvo distemper, adenovirus, parainfluenza, leprechaun, Lyme, Bartel, and rabies. And my mother would say, I'm sorry, not this year. So maybe every five or six years, Sooty got around to vaccines, but not every year. Same with heartworm prevention. My parents could afford it some summers. This was back when you gave a pill once a day. Uh, they could afford it sometimes, but not every year. So his chemical exposure was less. My parents couldn't afford to have a beautiful dandelion-free lawn with chemicals. So Sooty did not have environmental toxicosis. Sooty also was an avid exerciser. My mother is an avid uh, runner uh, and she would walk that dog 10 miles a day and that combination I know in my heart it was certainly not food that got that dog to 19 but that dog lived an amazing life despite food so he really role modeled to me truly uh, the other aspects that can be so impactful on extending longevity in a dog's life the second big lesson I learned from Sooty is um, uh, when Sooty was dying and we knew that he was dying, we took him in to be put to sleep. And our local veterinarian in Iowa just performed the worst euthanasia I have ever seen. And having, uh, having, being in that room, watching our beloved pet die the way he did, made such a profound impact on me. And I made a commitment then that I have seen the worst possible euthanasia and that will never happen again in my life. I will make every euthanasia a beautiful, calm, peaceful, pain-free experience. And that's one of the best things that that beautiful family dog taught me is the gift of dying well. So I have a great, um, a great amount of life lessons from the animals in my life, but one of them certainly is Sooty.
most veterinarians end up in the same situation that I have been in, where every one-eyed, three-legged dog that needs a home that's dumped at your clinic, you end up bringing home. The good news is that in my situation, I have incredibly responsible, passionate pet parents that um, don't do those things, but they do find kittens on the side of the road, they do find snot-nosed puppies you know, that need help. So throughout my career, I have had as many as 28 pets, and actually right now in my life, I'm down to the fewest number of pets I've ever had in my whole life, and I only have three. Right now, I have Lenny, who's about a five-year-old dachshund. I say we think he's five because we found him uh, at the Bourbon State Park. We tried desperately to find his parents. We recognize now he was clearly dumped because we call him Lenny Loincloth. He whizzes on everything, and so he has no manners. He's really cute and really fun, but he is not the most well-trained dog. Things are better now, but Lenny is a five-year-old, completely precious dachshund, who I love. Um, I also have Ada, who is a 13-year-old pit bull, precious, and she's doing fantastic. And then I have Krasno, who is a 14-year-old kitty that I got from a very similar situation where he just needed a home. He was infected with a bunch of upper respiratory viruses. He was homeless. And you know how that goes. You fix them up and then you think, oh, I'm going to place them. And they end up as what I call foster failures. They end up forever living with you because um, you've bonded with them and you can't bear the thought of anyone else enjoying how precious they are. My most memorable patient actually would have to be my own dog. And the reason I say my own dog is that my uh, freshman year of veterinary school, I was still working at the Black Hawk Humane Society, and a Rottweiler came in who, uh, she was rescued out of a gang situation. Her neck had been fractured with a baseball bat in a gang fight, and she came in, uh, she was left at the scene. So she came in on a control rod and went, uh, she was on the stray side for seven days and then getting ready to be euthanized and something just clicked with us. And even when I think about her now, it's magical. So I brought her home. Her name is Gemini. And she she's my most favorite patient because I had to treat her before I became a veterinarian, which is illegal. You can't treat animals without a license. But I was broke and in vet school, so I did. In veterinary school, big pet food companies give you free dog food in an attempt to woo you or buy you, to be honest, into selling their food when you graduate. And being a broke student, I totally fed my dog the cheap rendered very poor quality, terrible vet food that the school gave me. And it made my dog very, very sick. My dog went into liver failure from the food. She had a thaxiquin uh, toxicosis. And through Gemini, she has taught me everything. She said every possible acupuncture point, poked and repoked, everything I've ever tried, I've tried on her. But during this episode where she was very, very, very near death, I didn't know what to do. The vet school said put her to sleep. I dug knee deep into how can I save my dog's life and Gemini taught me the power of fresh food. So I, she was my very first dog that I put from this terrible quality food onto fresh food diet. I myself was already, 
already vegetarian, so the thought about feeding my dog an all-meat diet was appalling to me. But you know what the, the internist said at the vet school? Karen, she's dying anyway. If you want to feed her raw meat, you can feed her raw meat. Uh, she was anorexic, and so when I asked the internist, what, do you, what should I feed her over the weekend? And they said, well, listen, I highly recommend you put her to sleep on Monday, but over the weekend, if she eats, she'll, she's only going to eat meat because she's a carnivore and she doesn't feel good. So try and find some meat that she will eat. And that was the beginning of me saving my own dog's life before I even had a veterinary degree. I put her on a fresh living species appropriate diet. I went to the library and researched how to deal with acute hepatocyte trauma, liver, liver uh, uh, disease. I put her on curcumin and milk thistle. She still had an IV port in, so I gave her IV vitamin C. I spent the entire weekend desperately trying to save my dog's life, and Monday came, and she was a little bit better. She was still yellow from liver failure, but she was a little bit better. And Tuesday, she was a little bit stronger yet again. And by me working diligently to save my dog's life, I proved to myself the power of food, and I proved to myself the type of veterinarian that I wanted to become by being thrown into a situation that required me to practice a different type of medicine before I even knew any better. So she's been an amazing teacher to me. She's still a teacher to me, even in her death. She went on to live to be 13. She completely recovered. Uh, she is the reason that I will never and have never sold prescription diets in my practice. I still to this day learn valuable lessons from a dog that blessed me to 13, but of course is forever in my heart. Dr. Mercola uh, when he contacted me, but it wasn't him that initially contacted me. So I had subscribed to Dr. Mercola's new newsletter for years. Um, in fact, I think I could have been one of the very first original subscribers back in 1998. I acquired my first subscription with him. So I had been reading his information for years. In 2008, uh, I was in the middle of an exam at Naturopet Animal Hospital, the, the integrative hospital that I started in Chicago, and my girl my staff know that they do not interrupt me during an exam unless the building's on fire or a patient is dying. So I got a knock on the door and I thought, oh my gosh, it's so I excuse myself. I stepped out and Michelle, my receptionist said, listen, I am so sorry, but there is a man calling from Larson and Rye uh, attorney firm that says you have to call them right away. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've never been contacted by an attorney. Oh my gosh, like what, what am I being sued? Or oh my gosh, what's going on? I've never, you know, I've never had a, a negative thing happen. I got really, really nervous. So I apologized to my client. I said, listen, I, I can't even complete the exam. I'm so nervous. I said, I've got to go make a quick phone call. My client was beautiful and said, no problem. I called Jim Larson back and he started laughing and he said, hey, my name is Jim Larson. I'm really not an attorney, but I've tried every possible means of trying to contact you and you, you're unreachable because you're very, very busy and it's really hard to, to be able to um, contact you. So I had to fake um, an attorney and I want to tell you that my name is Jim Larson. I'm vice president of Mercola.com. Steve Rye is the CEO of Mercola.com and Dr. Joe Mercola has searched for the last two years to find an integrative veterinarian whose views line up philosophically with what he with what he promotes and what he believes in. We've looked far and wide and everyone says we have to contact you. 
you are impossible to get a hold of, so I'm contacting you this way. And we laughed and laughed and laughed. He said, please come up, Dr. Mercola would like to meet you. So I came up, I met Dr. Mercola. We had a beautiful day where we talked about diet, nutrition, vaccines, environmental stressors. We talked about the epidemics occurring in pets, obesity, cancer, diabetes, organ degeneration, arthritis, that mimic and parallel the exact same degenerative diseases that are occurring in people. And in 2009, I started writing articles for Mercola.com, developing human grade, great quality nutraceuticals and supplements for dogs and cats, and started making videos. Uh, and by 2013, we were the largest pet wellness website in the world. Recently, I just found out that I'm the most followed veterinarian in the world. And that's heartwarming to me because what that tells me is that integrative medicine, common sense approaches to helping to intentionally create vitality and wellness in animals is not something that is alternative anymore, but indeed at the forefront of change when it comes to really committing to provide the best care we can for the dogs and cats in our lives. I have been happily partnered with Mercola.com ever since. In 2013, I went from practicing full-time, so I was in the exam room about 66 hours a week up until between 80 and 66, depending on a heavy week or a light week. Uh, I spent my entire days in the exam room, which I love. I saw between 8 and 15 patients a day. We have hour-long appointments, and I love that. But I started to get the itch about 2010. I'm like, you know, I can, I, I love the fact that uh, I'm individually touching eight to 15 patients a day. And my goal is for those patients to forever be changed. But I had this burning desire to touch 80,000 to 150,000 patients a day. And so Dr. Mercola uh, said to me, you know, as we build this platform for you on the largest platform, the largest stage on earth, which is the internet, uh, you, uh, we'd like you to be able to do more writing, do more product development. We'd like you to be able to do more speaking. So I went from full-time veterinary work to part-time veterinary work, which opened up my schedule. And at that point, I started formulating organic human-grade pet foods. I increased my lecture schedule. I increased my writing schedule. So I have this most amazing job right now where I'm still in the exam room sometimes, I, which I love. So the, my favorite part of my day is every day because on the days I'm in the exam room, I love the one-on-one -on -one interaction with my clients. <clears throat> I love saving animals' lives. On days that I'm rehabilitating wildlife, which is a deep passion of mine, I love the honor of being able to be in the presence of wild animals that hopefully I can fix to be able to give them a second chance of life. That's a beautiful time spent. I love those days. I love the days when I show up to a lecture hall full of a thousand people that are waiting to hear how they can become empowered pet owners and make better decisions for the animals that they're caring for. I love those days. I love coming home to my precious fur babies. I love waking up the next day and writing or developing a really great human grade product for Mercola. Every day of my life is something fun, exciting, fantastic, but I think most importantly, impactful. So I have a great job, and I would say I like every day.